2020 was a year unlike any other in the 40-year history of the HIV-AIDS pandemic. The COVID-19 pandemic poses geopolitical threats to progress in the field and has impacted many of the systems in place meant to combat HIV. As the COVID pandemic continues into 2021, unprecedented disruptions, social and economic instability, fear of accessing health facilities, and impacts on current HIV programs force the global health community to reassess how to adapt, protect, and sustain progress. In this podcast, we will speak to experts, community leaders, and people living with HIV about the progress towards meeting HIV targets under this new COVID reality and the future of health security in low and middle income countries. I'm Catherine Bliss, and this is AIDS 2021. Hello, and welcome to the AIDS 2021 podcast. My name is Janet Fleischman, and I'm a senior associate at the CSIS Global Health Policy Center. Around the world, communities are struggling to reopen schools in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis. But these challenges are especially acute for vulnerable adolescent girls and young women in low-income countries, where COVID-19 has magnified the barriers that they already faced in getting an education, such as new levels of economic hardship, gender-based violence, and unintended pregnancy. In this episode, we're looking at why education for girls, and especially secondary education, is so critical for girls' health and development, and how COVID-19 threatens their ability to go back to school. To understand what these challenges look like in real time, we were honored to speak to Dr. Kakenya Taya, a Kenyan educator and founder of Kakenya's Dream, an organization dedicated to educating and empowering girls and ending harmful traditional practices like female genital cutting or FGM and child marriage. Kakenya describes the impact of COVID-19 on the school for girls that she founded in Kenya and how the school responded. We last spoke to Kakenya on our podcast in 2019, and we're delighted to have her back to share her insights as well as her message to the new Biden-Harris administration. After speaking to Kakenya, we'll go to Western Kenya to speak to Linda Acheng Orodo, a 19-year-old secondary school student. Like many girls in her community, Linda's ability to return to school was very uncertain during the COVID-19 lockdown, and she gives us a glimpse of why secondary school is so critical for girls in Kenya. We hope you'll enjoy this episode. Welcome, Kakenya. So first, I want to hear, where is your school and why is education for girls and particularly secondary education so important for girls' health and development in Kenya and beyond? Our school is actually in Kenya. It is in a place called Enosain, which is beyond the Masai Mara in Narrow County. And we have been over the last 10 years focusing on education for girls because it's so important. I think, the, I mean, there are numerous research that have been done about girls' education and its importance. I can speak from our own background of when girls are educated, especially beyond primary school into secondary school. The big thing is that uh, one, they avoid 
uh, early marriages, uh, which tend to happen in our community when they're 12, 13 years old. So when they go to high school or secondary school, that means that they're escaping that early marriages. Some of the other issues that we work on are female genital cutting, which also happen around the same age. And the more the time that the girls spend in school, it really changes their lives. I think most research talk about the importance of girls getting more money when they get to education, but I don't want to monetize the, the fact of going to school. I want to talk about education as a human right. And I want to talk about education as, you know, girls, as boys have equal rights and they should go to school. It really opens their horizons. I have seen them in my own girls. They have dreams and we do not want to cut those dreams by not enabling them to go to school. And our focus has been taking the girls through the journey of school. We actually start in primary school, we work on secondary school, and now enabling to transition them into colleges and universities, because we don't just need to say, let's just get them to school to be able to read and write. That's great, but they have potential and the whole world's open up for them. And when you find a girl who is in high school and you talk to them, I have enjoyed seeing the girls in my high school. And I just see a future, a great future when, when you enable the girls to do so. It's really critical that, yes, we can talk about the billions they will add into the economies of their countries. But to me, it is just makes them to be humans and they can thrive and they can explore their potential. That is a human right. and They should be given that. And can you describe some of the challenges that you faced in your schools with your girls with the COVID pandemic? What were some of the issues that you faced in getting the girls back to school? What were the challenges they faced in the time that schools were locked down? What was the impact of COVID on the girls that you work with? Um, COVID 2020 was a year like no other year I have seen in my life. The government of Kenya closed schools in March 2020, and it was something that happened in a rush. All of a sudden, the girls that used to be in my school, because our school is a boarding school that provided everything for the girls, all of a sudden we were told to close the, the doors down and really send the girls back to their homes. The homes where they were, our school was a rescue, like it was like a rescue place for them, which is safe, nurturing, caring, loving, and all of that. And then we put them back into the situations where they were some were in families that are very abusive, both not just to the girls, but also the girls seeing abuse in their mothers, the fathers beating the mothers. So that abuse really affected the girls psychologically. We saw a lot of, um, of course, there are issues of rape and uh, teen pregnancies, and most didn't have food in their homes. There was no safety net where they could be. And we went from these girls who were excited, thriving, amazing, to girls that lived in very difficult situations. I mean, one of the things when we, you know, within the first month, we realized that, you know, we're trying to track the girls. They don't, girls don't have phones. And either you have to find a mother who didn't have the electricity to power up the phone. And uh, we realized that we really needed to step in. And, and for us, it was just beyond, okay, people are talking about online learning, radio, whatever, all that. Great. 
but it was really about finding the physical need of meeting the girls where they were. I mean, things as simple as sanitary pads, you know, we provide all of that in the school contest. I mean, it's lotion, soap and all of that, like it was available, but all of a sudden they didn't have it. So we had to turn around and really start to meeting those needs. And I think that COVID really uh, set us back and I have seen the girls now coming back to school and they are physical, they are emotional, they are psychosocial. It's so much trauma that happens in the girls' home. They were responsible for the family. I mean, they were cooking, cleaning, washing, everything. And if the food was not enough, they're the ones who went without food. And I just felt it was hard. It was really hard. Maybe you could speak specifically a little bit more about what you saw when schools reopened. Did all the girls come back? Did a number not come back? Did some of them get pregnant? Did you learn about GBV, FGM? What were some of the things specifically in your school that you saw when you reopened? So we were very fortunate first because our primary and secondary school girls all came back to school except one. It was the teachers, the government, the local government was asking us, what did you do to make sure that the girls came back? Because in most of the schools around where we were, the girls were not coming back to school. They were married or they were somewhere. They couldn't even trace some of the girls. But what we had known earlier on when we started providing feeding program for the families and being available every month, we did checkups every month. The parents kind of knew we were like policing and taking on our girls and they saw that we were not giving them up. And and so the girls came back. But I think the coming back is that the girls were, yes, they came back. Some were pregnant. And now we had to think about how do you, within the same class, how do you teach a student who first, some have been abused, some are pregnant, some I've gone through, um, of course, we have uh, sexual transmitted diseases, all places. And I felt like education was second, but the health was first. So we really had to work with a lot of psychological. Some girls just a year of losing school, they came back, they had not read, they were behind and they started losing morale. But the psychological trauma that they had was the big one. Those who were pregnant were feeling very ashamed. So we have to like build them by increasing psychological therapies. So we have a counselor who is working on them. It had to, a school, uh, I feel like the school had to change the mindset of what, like a quality education to let's get you to your health. Uh, let's focus on you as a human being. Let's let's focus on your purpose. Let's focus on this is not the end. Um, you know, there's so much ahead for us. You know, you will still, you know, thrive. We are committed to ensuring that you become the best of you and really having one-on-one conversations with world. It wasn't more about a group works. It was more about you as a girl, you know, you as faith, you as and you as Christian, we, we want to talk to you, you alone, and then focusing on the nutrition, making sure the value, you know, the food is there, but also just their worth, kind of rebuilding that, because really the places that the girls are in their homes and their places they live in, I feel like they were terrorized, they were, you know, just destroyed, and so now we're trying to build that. I wonder if you could just reflect for a minute on your own life and why was education so important in your life and changing the trajectory of what your horizons could be? 
Wow, education really changed my life. I am who I am today because of education. I, wow, I can't even like comprehend where I'll be. I mean, I would have been married young. Um, I escaped early marriages uh, and it's because of education. I, I was focused on getting to high school, focused on going to college, focused on my future and what makes me happy. I am who I am today because of an education. I'm able to speak up for so many young women and so many girls around the world because I have that access to get an education. I, I have been able to be in platforms that I would never have been in my life if I wasn't in school. And I always tell the students in my school that um, education opens up your life. You know, we are all here for a purpose and that purpose, you can fulfill it after you you kind of, you are opened up the world and uh, education is, is key. Um, it is important. It has changed my life. Uh, I can talk forever about it. As you know, I went through FGM, but I didn't go through early marriage and it's because of education. I am married happily with two children and, you know, so I control my family. <laughs> I am leading, um, you know, empowering other girls. I'm creating, I am pushing boundaries i'm changing social norms in my community i am demanding i am you know courageous i am oh gosh i can tell you all and that is because i was able to get an education and i would love every single girl in the entire world to have that opportunity to go to school to test to get an education and be, be thrive after thrive after that that is what we need so let's go to that, the solutions. This crisis maybe is going to force some new ways of operating, some innovative approaches, some different ways of addressing problems that existed before. What are some of the solutions that you see on the horizon? I mean, assuming that we could keep the attention and, and get the resources and, you know, obviously huge challenges, but what do you see as some of those possible new innovative solutions that are out there? I think the biggest solution that now I think everybody talks about the importance of parents' involvement in their children's education. That's, I think, something that we didn't put, we all, most of the time, we, I think anywhere in the world, people are talking about parents and technology. And I think we really need to hone on that because in my case, for example, um, for the first time, I think we did never used to talk a lot about teen pregnancy, but now like in the whole community, girls are pregnant and I'm able to sit down with, doesn't matter if it's an old man or a young man, whatever, we are talking about the same thing. And I said, yeah, we were not, people tell us, you know, we are so afraid there was a lot of taboo about contraceptives and all of that. I'm like, so what do we think we should do? <laughs> so it just opens up a new channel for communications. And I think we should definitely hone on that of parents' involvement, both men and women, fathers and, daughters, and, and mothers, to really take a lead on the uh, part of education of their daughters and boys and, and just general on that. So technology, I think it's something that we have focused on a lot in Africa. The biggest challenge has been access to the internet. So I have quite uh, computers, but I don't have internet. So I think that's another way that we can, because it opens up, you're able to have conversations with people across boundaries. And I think young people kind of having that interconnections between the two worlds kind of gives us an opportunity to really leapfrog and, and provide those technologies in the classrooms and those can happen with young people. I think that's a, that's a big one. And one of the things we've seen is 
we've always known about the digital divide and the way girls often have less access to phones and technology and all that. And what have you seen in terms of the impact of that digital divide on the girl's ability to do any kind of remote learning or get information through their phones about health or safety or education? How how have you seen that digital divide play out for your girls? The digital divide was the biggest uh, challenge for us, especially access to technology was not there. One of the technologies we brought back to our girls is actually the radio. In my community, the radio belongs to the men and like the boys. So when the government of Kenya was providing education through radio, the girls did not have any access. So literally we had to provide the girls with the radio. And that was like so empowering because the girls would be washing dishes or doing something and listening to the radio. And then they were like, Kenya, just we just gave the girls radios and it's theirs. It's not for anyone else to use. With that, we also saw that uh, the college students also had access to phones because most of the secondary school students didn't have access. Actually, secondary girls don't have access to phone. I, I think throughout the whole country, we they still don't think that they are capable of using. But those who are in college, they were actually able to, we would provide them with data bundles and they, they did their coursework online. They also did more extra work online. They started mentoring other each other and there was that conversations and the power of WhatsApp and the WhatsApp groups and it was just that they were very communicative and they were very available and anything they wanted they had access to that so I think that was the the biggest. And you know we have a new administration here that is putting in a new framework, more focus on um, global health, more focus on the gender issues and women and girls, hopefully. What is your message to the U.S. government and to the sort of global community about using this moment to better address and support the needs of adolescent girls and young women around the world and specifically in this case in Kenya? If you could be speaking to the the high levels of the new Biden-Harris administration, what would you want them to know? What is your message to them? My message to the new U.S. administration, I think there's so much research that has been done about education, girls, health, and all that. We need leaders and champions who can take the lead and speak up about some of the things that are happening to the girls. But let's invest a lot on adolescent girls, the sexual and productive health, from the health component, but also from the education in their schools. So we do still need to talk a lot about Let's put girls to school, not just primary school. We need to put girls into high school. You know, secondary education is key. Uh, we need to create opportunities for them to be able to collaborate across borders and across communities. We need to still end some of the social injustice that are happening to the girls from female genital cutting to post early marriages to uh, gender-based violence around the communities. There's a lot of uh, poverty going on around the world and girls and women are there at the bottom of always affected with that. Uh, and really shifted paradigm. Uh, really, I think we know that if we empower women, you know, transformation happens in the homes and in the communities. So please invest in the works that transform women. Let's focus on that because that's how you end all the injustice in the world. 
After speaking to Kakenya, we wanted to hear directly from a young woman in Kenya who could explain the challenges girls faced in returning to secondary school when their schools reopened in early 2021. We were fortunate to be able to connect with Linda Acheng Orodo, who comes from a county in western Kenya with one of the highest rates of HIV, but who aspires to stay in school and to achieve great things. So how how is your life different because you are in secondary school? What has changed for you? What has changed for me is that I can uh, I can see myself as a person who can be someone in future, who can be, who can uh, do something great to fellow Kenyans. That's so wonderful to hear. What do you want to do? What do, what do you see in your future? What is your goal? I want to be, to do work of medicine. Is there anything else you think we should understand about the challenges that girls are facing right now with coronavirus, with HIV, with lack of support for many to go to school? What are the challenges? What are the big challenges that girls face? Girls are facing many challenges as for now due to this corona pandemic. And for in Kenya, the county that I'm coming from is the leading county with HIV positive. So mostly, women and girls. So it is very unfortunate that many people have been affected with the HIV AIDS. As all, when you, we, you watch news in Kenya, we find that um, Kenya, the county that I'm coming from is the leading with the HIV AIDS. So I can urge other girls to follow what uh, they are being taught in school. Also in school, they taught us about all those things how we can overcome them, and how we can live with them if you have been a victim of them, how we can live with them, yes. Thanks for listening to this episode of the AIDS 2021 podcast. To learn more about CSIS's work on HIV AIDS, please visit the CSIS.org website and click on the Global Health Policy Center program page.